0: As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come again to us and speak to us by the power of your Spirit. I pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning, that you would help us to receive what you may have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a very interesting book on my Bookshelf that I wanted to show you uh, this morning. It's, um, it's called All That Men Know About Women. It's not a long book. It's, um, it's a couple of hundred pages. It's actually volume one in the Encyclopedia of Esoteric Knowledge. And on the front of it, it says this. This classic and comprehensive work, at last available in paperback, unabridged and unexpurgated. And when you open it up, you discover that all the pages are absolutely blank. (laughs) Some of you, I know, keep a prayer journal, a, a book where you write down prayers or reflections about God. But imagine this morning, for a minute, if we could somehow magically produce a journal for everyone here today. What would it look like if we opened it up? Hopefully it would not be completely blank. But what might we find? At the Lord's Prayer a few times, perhaps? A list of requests that might look something rather like a shopping list? Or perhaps the pages would be blotchy and curled from tears? Maybe there would be words of anger or despair or grief? Or perhaps the name of a loved one, written again and again, on the pages of your book. There's something very private about a journal. It can be a place where we may disclose our deepest thoughts, fears, concerns, longings, frustrations. I I have a little journal. I'm not much of a writer, as you can see by how small this book is, and I, I wish I wrote more. But as I look back in this book, and this is my handwriting, over the last six years, It's amazing to read what's in here, for me to see what God has done with me and for me and despite me over that time. To the best of my knowledge, uh, no one has seen inside these covers except God and me, and I want it to remain that way. Our reading from Ephesians this morning feels just a little bit like peering into the private pages of the Apostle Paul's prayer journal. Now, I know it's, it's not actually that. Paul wrote these words in a letter, and he intended and expected that letter to be read. And yet, in these few verses, we learn something about the Apostle Paul's deepest longings and concerns as he pours out his soul to God. And as we take a look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, I want to look at four questions. Why does Paul pray? How does Paul pray? To whom does he pray? And finally, what does he pray? So first then, why does Paul pray? Verse 14 begins, For this reason, which of course begs the question, what reason? Now to answer that, we'd actually have to read, everything that's gone before in this letter, which we don't have time for this morning. But the one-minute summary is that in those preceding verses and chapters, Paul has been explaining how God, in his grace, has given him a ministry to reach out to the Gentiles. That is, to reach out to all the people who are not Jewish. And that God's love and invitation to be a part of his kingdom extends to all people because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Indeed, that message of God's radical grace and love to all had got Paul into deep trouble, so much so that he'd been arrested and was writing this letter from his prison cell. The central uh, message of this letter can perhaps be summed up from chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14, where he says this, in Christ Jesus, you are, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups, that is the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the non-Jews, into one, and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And so at this point in the letter where we join it, we encounter Paul praying for these Christians in Ephesus to grow in their spiritual maturity, to be a dwelling place fit for God. No longer is God confined to the temple, not that he ever was, but now in a new way, God makes his home in us through the Holy Spirit. So the basis of Paul's prayer is the knowledge that he has of God's purposes. And therein lies the first lesson for us this morning. The reason that you and I should pray, above all others, is for the furthering of God's kingdom and his purposes. Now, that might sound a bit obscure, and I suspect that often that's not, in fact, why we pray. More likely, we pray to God about what we want rather than what he wants. But the purpose of prayer is not to bring God around to our way of thinking, but rather to enter into god's will which he has already revealed to us in the scriptures which as, as john stott said is why bible reading and prayer should always go together for it is in scripture that god has disclosed his will and it is in prayer that we ask him to do it so that's why paul prays secondly how does he pray Well, verse 14 again, I bow my knees. Kneeling, while the norm for many of us in our Anglican tradition, was not the norm for the first century Jew. Standing was the typical posture to pray. Kneeling was unusual. It it was a mark of great earnestness. It was a mark of great seriousness. And this is how Paul is praying as he prays for the Ephesians. You may recall we encountered Jesus kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. We encounter Stephen, the the first martyr, kneeling as he's stoned to death. But there's no uh, rule about what posture you should adopt to pray. You can pray standing, sitting, kneeling, walking, lying down, with your hands raised or not. But I think it is right that we not be so casual or sloppy that we fail to take seriously just who it is that we are talking to when we pray. Which brings us to the third question, still in verse 14. To whom did Paul pray? And we see it is to God the Father. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. You know, I think in our day that the pendulum may have swung from approaches to prayer that may have been rather formal and starchy to approaches, approaches that can be, well, maybe a bit too chatty or disrespectful. Yeah, I remember as a young lad, my uh, grandpa um, talking to me about what it was appropriate to wear in church. And, and grandpa was quite clear about what you should wear. And it was your Sunday best. And I had a rather different view. And grandpa said, well, you wouldn't go to see the queen dressed in jeans, would you, Jonathan? Jonathan. Uh, by the way, if you watched the Olympic uh, ceremony on Friday, you will have seen that James Bond wore his finest suit when he went to the palace to escort the Qu- Her Majesty to the stadium. Anyway, back to my grandpa. I said, ''Um, no, grandpa,'' I replied, ''I wouldn't wear my jeans, ''but I don't know the Queen. ''Surely it's different when coming to meet with our Heavenly Father.'' Little smug halo on above my head. ''And I wonder why my kids always seem to have a reply to anything I suggest.'' I think we both had a point, my grandpa and me. But now I'm a dad, I can tell you that there are some ways that my kids approach me that really wind me up. Sure, they don't need to wear their best clothes, but when one of my three decides they would like to have a chat while simultaneously texting, instant messaging, and watching TV, I tend to feel that the conversation with me is perhaps not their first priority. I wonder, how does God feel when you talk to him? Of course, you can pray to God anytime, anywhere, anyhow. And that's terrific. But let us not only talk to him in distracted half sentences or when we're panicked about something and want his help or when we're rushing out the door. For when we pray, we are talking with our Heavenly Father. But I want you to notice something else in what follows in verse 14. Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name. And that phrase, it's a bit odd, but it could also be translated from whom all fatherhood in heaven and earth derives its name. Paul is telling us that for all those who are in the family of God, God is the ultimate good father. Indeed, the very notion of fatherhood is derived from the fatherhood of God. And that's a truly wonderful thing. And yet I recognize that the idea of praying to God as our father can be very difficult for some people. Not everyone here has had the best experience of an earthly father. There are folks here this morning, I know, who have either not known their earthly fathers at all, or who have been treated very badly by their fathers and that is a very sad thing and it can be a very difficult thing not least in how such a person relates to God but our God is the definition of a of perfect fatherhood he is the original father a father who is loving kind merciful faithful faithful strong and who always always has your best interests very close to his heart so when you pray take some time to sit and be without distractions you know elsewhere in the scriptures Jesus talks about going into your room and and praying closing the door Today, I suspect, he'd tell us to turn off our cell phones and close our laptops. But take some time to read his word, to see what he has to say, and then sit or kneel or stand and come before your Father in heaven, honoring him, worshiping him, and speak to him as Jesus taught us to, saying, our Father. You know, I try and spend time each morning with God. And, and I usually go to our basement room and I shut the door. But before I come to praying, I, I read from God's Word. And then I take out the, the prayer requests that many of you submit each week, and I use that. And, and then I've got my own kind of daily prayer guide, and it's got some things that are personal to me and my family, and then it's got, I've got a list of all of your names. Now, I don't want to mislead you. I don't want you to think... That I'm the perfect, powerful prayer warrior, I'm not. I have to tell you, I've actually been very challenged this week preparing this sermon. You see, I haven't been praying for you as often as I should, or in the way that I should. Some days, I haven't prayed for you at all. Other days, I've just read a list of names but that's not what we see the apostle paul doing in his prayer journal as he prays for the church at ephesus he's not just mentioning people on a list in some church somewhere his prayer has real substance which brings me to the final question this morning what does paul pray well he prays for four things just when you thought you were getting away with only four points he prays for four things He prays that the church would be strengthened with power, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would understand the love of Christ, and that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Let's take a closer look. The first thing Paul prays for, the church at Ephesus, is strength. Verse 16. I pray that you may be strengthened in your inner being with with power through his Spirit. How are you feeling this morning in your inner being? I suspect that between us, deep down, some will be feeling burdened or or in despair. Others will feel full of joy and hope. Some of you may feel very secure and content being single or in your marriages, in your families, in your work. Others may feel decidedly shaky weak or vulnerable but however we may feel each and every one of us needs to be strengthened by God and how does this strengthening come how does it happen it happens through the power of the Holy Spirit do you pray for God to strengthen you and your loved ones or or those in your home groups, or those here in church, for me, for Josh, for Anne, for the staff team, do you pray that each one would be strengthened in their inner beings with power from the Holy Spirit. Please do. And that's how I want to pray for you also. The second prayer, verse 17, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And that word dwell means to take up Residence to make somewhere home. You know, when you move into a new house, it usually takes time for it to become a home. Maybe there's redecorating um, to be done, or there's some remodeling that's needed. Maybe there are gaping holes in the ceiling that need to be fixed. All sorts of things that need attention. Well, that's how it is when Christ comes to make a home in our hearts. And changing our hearts, our habits, our innermost selves takes time and requires great power. But this is not the power of self-help. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We need to pray for this, for ourselves and for one another. Let us pray that we will not stifle what the Holy Spirit wants to do, that we will not get in his way. This power to change And transform our hearts comes from God. And He works in us according to the riches of His glory. And yet, so often, we put up huge barricades. We need to pray for one another that we will trust God to do in us and with us what He needs to do. I wonder are there rooms in your heart, as it were, if you'll go with that visual? Are there rooms that you keep locked from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Rooms in your heart that you're not willing to have remodeled? Thank you very much. Maybe the computer room is off limits to God. Or maybe it's the kitchen, or the bedroom, or the living room. Paul is praying that the Christians at Ephesus would have every area of their lives indwelt by Christ. No no no-go areas. And likewise for us, every area of our lives, our work lives, our sex lives, our relationships, our thoughts, our finances, need to be indwelt by Christ as we are rooted and grounded In love. No wonder Paul uses the word power three times in this short passage. You and I can't do this without that power. Okay, third prayer, verse 18, is that they would understand the love of God. Note here, Paul is not praying that they would love Christ more. Though he he could have prayed for that, and, and I guess he did on other times. But no, here he is praying that they would comprehend just how much Christ loves them. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And this prayer is not that they might have bigger brains to understand something, but rather that they might have the power to grasp the dimensions of that love in their experience. Victor Hugo, French poet and author of Les Miserables said, the greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. Let me say that again. The greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. And we look to all sorts of different people to know that we're loved. And and it's a wonderful thing to know the love of parents or spouse of children, family, friends. But what Paul is telling us here is that we need to look first and foremost to Jesus to fulfill our deepest longings for love. For the truth is, no other human being can ever give us all the love that we need. No one but God can fulfill your need and mine to be loved all the time. And in one sense, Paul is is asking for the impossible. He, He prays that we might know the unknowable, which sounds like a bit of a contradiction. Verse 19, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. But of course, this kind of knowing does surpass knowledge. It's a sort of knowing that resides deep in our hearts, not high up in our heads. And we need, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to know that love. Which brings us to the final prayer that Paul prays. Fourthly, Paul prays, verse 19 again, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit in our lives and being filled with the Holy Spirit. No one can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit, And yet, as we were thinking about a moment ago, if we have rooms in our lives that are off-limits to Christ's Spirit, then we're not allowing Christ to indwell our hearts fully. To use a different analogy, think of a sponge. It can be merely wet, or it can be absolutely saturated. Jesus wants us to live lives that are saturated by his presence and his power, by his grace and his love. And then Paul finishes with this great benediction in verses 20 and 21. It's almost as if he knows what some of you might be thinking. Is this realistic? Can I really know and experience the height and depth and breadth and length of God's love? Can I really be strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit? And Paul writes in verse 21, to him be glory. But be glory where? Is it in the highest heavens? Well, it could be, but that's not what Paul says here. The really shocking thing in all of this is that all this power and amazing demonstration of God's love is to be seen at work in us, here in the church, here at Ascension, here in your life and mine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. But let's be honest. We don't always see and experience the glory of God displayed in our church, do we? In fact, sometimes we see all sorts of selfishness and ugliness and words and actions that don't look anything like what we've been talking about this morning. Why is that? Well, the truth is that the church is made up of broken people. It's made up of people like me and people like you. And the truth is that Christ is still in the business of remodeling our lives. He's still in the business of reshaping our church family to be the community that he calls us to be, to be a dwelling place fit for him. But do not lose heart For in this final benediction, Paul reminds us to whom we're praying. When we pray, we are praying to the one who is able to do more than we can ask. And not just more than we can ask, but abundantly more than we can ask. And not just abundantly more than we can ask, but abundantly far more than we can ask or even imagine. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. No, really, he does. One of the great privileges of of praying for others is seeing God do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Brothers and sisters, these past years, as I have prayed for you, and you have prayed for me, and we've prayed for others, we have seen that. We have seen broken relationships restored we have seen people healed we have seen people who hadn't been able to get pregnant get pregnant we have seen God do more than we really thought was possible so don't give up God's not done with us yet pray for our church Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the ones that drive you mad. And as you pray for one another, pray these things, that we would be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ would dwell in every part of our lives, that we would understand the vastness of Christ's love for us, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Please pray that for me. I need it. And I will pray that for you. You need it. Amen.